past week, uh, Dave and I went to a funeral, um, which is not actually tr truly an abnormal thing for us, uh, occupational hazard, I suppose, but we knew that this particular funeral would be a really different experience for the two of us. Partly because we seldom go to a funeral as a member of the congregation. Usually we're there to officiate as a pastor. And we had not actually ever attended a funeral in the Jewish community of faith that this one would be held in. So we knew it would be different, a different experience for us. Uh, we also knew this particular funeral would be just devastatingly sad. Uh, the funeral was for someone, she was really young. She was a sister of, a, of one of our son's um, friends. And so all funerals are sad. Um, this one we knew would be especially so, and we anticipated that. And on both of these assumptions, we found we were completely right and also completely wrong. There were some things that were really different for us in this particular funeral. The words of the cantor were sung in Hebrew during the service. Uh, there were yarmulkes offered at the entrance of the pavilion in the cemetery where it was held. But there was also a lot that felt really familiar we started together by reading Psalm 23. We heard stories from her friends and her family. Her aunt sang this beautiful song and then we prayed together and so in so many ways, it felt really familiar and not that different at all. We were right that it would be um, extremely sad. The grief was palpable in the large group that just crammed together in the pavilion. At the cemetery, there were a lot of tears, but it wasn't just sad. It was also beautiful. Even in grief, there was this powerful feeling of community that was woven into every part of their service. The funeral was held at a pavilion out in the cemetery and then after the final prayers, all of us, the whole group gathered, and again, it was a large group, walked alongside of the family to the site of the grave. And then they had this ritual that at the burial, as the family sat, each and every person gathered there went up next to the, um, the large mound of earth that was next to the grave. And you were asked to take the shovel and to shovel twice um, some of the earth. But the first time you lift up the shovel, you turned it upside down um, and tried to get some earth onto the end of the shovel. And that was to show just how hard this is to do but then everybody did it, which showed also that they don't do this alone, that we do it together. Um, I learned too that after the service, the support from the people who were there in the congregation for the family didn't end just at the service, that from there, everybody would go to the home to surround them and to eat and to be together, but not just for that day, but for several days after in this Jewish tradition of a time of mourning. And the idea wasn't to do anything, but to sit and to be together. And it was so clear to me that this family knew that they were not alone. I think there's nothing more beautiful than real community when it looks like that. There's something in all of us that needs to belong to a real community. We need it. You need to be in a group that's not just a professional organization or a club or a tennis group or a casual group of friends. Those are all fine, but you need to be known, to be really known, to be a part of something real and something that goes deeper. I know something in me longs for that. Something in you longs for that too, whether we admit it or not. And that's because we're not supposed to be alone not just in hard times, but really in our whole lives and especially not in our faith. 
Faith was never something we were meant to do alone. It never was. Following Jesus was never supposed to be something that you do all by yourself. But somehow I believe we forgot that. And I blame the Protestant Reformation. I do, at least partly. I'm a good Protestant. I believe in the founding principles of the Reformation. And uh, it had this catchy tagline of sola gratia, solo fide, sola scriptura, which translates to grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone. And I love that. It means we're saved just by God's grace, by our faith in Christ, not by anything we can do and that scripture is the ultimate authority. Yes to all of that. Grace, faith, and scripture alone. But we heard the word alone and we like, ran with it as a people. We have created this new and individualistic faith that was never God's intention for us. And we may say we're not doing faith alone, but we all hear the things that we say, all of us, all the time. I don't need church. I can worship anywhere. My faith is private for me. I just don't get anything out of church, so sometimes I just stay home and I read and pray by myself. I love God, but I don't want to be around other Christians. There's truth in that. <laughs> I hear that. But the alone part of the Reformation's catchy tagline was intended to trim away all that extra stuff, all the extra requirements put between people and God, all the ways the reformers saw in our institutions that we were using other things like our own goodness to earn our way somehow to salvation. But instead of the importance of grace and faith in the scripture, we heard this rallying cry for individualism and decided faith was something we could do all by ourselves in our room at home alone. Now, we aren't the first to do this. In the letter of the early church in Hebrews, the writer says this, verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I love the snarkiness in this part of the letter to the Hebrews. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. I'm not going to name names, Hebrews says. But some of y'all aren't coming to church. You want to really mess with the church this morning, really rock the boat? Let's do this. Text someone who isn't here this morning with just Hebrews 10.25 and wait. Wait for him to look it up. Watch the three dots like appear and go away a few times. They figure out what to do with that. Faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, but together as a church. Not out of like obligation or guilt or, you know, we run into y'all at Publix. Oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't there. No, no, no. <laughs> Not that. Church, because you were made for community. You were made for community. From the very first story in Genesis, God creates one person and was like, nope, and makes a second because, quote, it was not good for him to be alone, right at the beginning. Then the people of God, the Israelites, are brought out together as one people, a community, to follow God together. And then Jesus comes and makes the people of God even bigger to include all people. He creates this tight community, too, of the early disciples, and then after Jesus's death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit comes. And we'll talk about that next week for Pentecost. But then this happens in the scripture, verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home, they ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And just like that, the church is born. And it was just as beautiful and imperfect and weird as it is right now. They prayed and they ate and they spent a lot of time together as a community. They shared everything and they brought all kinds of people together who would never have been together otherwise in one room and everyone watched him do it and said, that's so beautiful, but it's so strange and it's so weird. At one point in Acts, just before this, they get really excited about the message and people think they've been drinking in the morning. <laughs> they worship and they sing and they welcome new people into the group. But as beautiful as it all was, it was not perfect. They also disagreed all the time and they had huge fights. It doesn't talk about this here in Acts 2. There's a lot of sharing and loving and caring in Acts 2. But later we have the letters that went to the early churches in places like Ephesus and Corinth. And they disagreed about all kinds of things. And we know that because they keep getting told, hey, stick together. You can be a church together. They, they had fights about like who was in and who wasn't in. Gosh, we've been having that fight for a long time. It's time to put that one down. And they had some very heated debates about circumcision. <laughs> There's a lot on the line for half of your church in that fight. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, what's she talking about? Go read your Bible about circumcision. <laughs> the early church was beautiful and weird and it was far from perfect, but it was a community and it was a people and it brought them together. And now you are a part of that community too, whether you like it or not, because you're here. And there's a lot in our church now that sounds like that Acts 2 church. We still pray and we definitely eat a lot, come for donuts after church. We aren't maybe as good as sharing all things with one another, but we're sure working on it. At our best, we bring together all kinds of different people into the same room around the same faith, even if that would never happen anywhere else. And we are still super weird. Don't fight that. That's partly what makes us awesome. Like there's a lot that we do as churches that's weird, but it's beautiful. We worship and we sing and we welcome new people in and we do disagree and we fight about all kinds of things. We are weird and, and far from perfect and beautiful, but we're this community that's been got together around our faith. We are meant to be together. You belong here. You can't live life without a community. And you can't have faith without the church. Not because you don't have access to God on your own or because you can't pray without us, but because the faith that we have alone is a shadow of the full experience of faith we get when we all come together. And not only are we called as a group here in this building, but we're called to be sent out too. Right after Jesus' resurrection, he calls together that first community, that little group of disciples, and he pulls them all together. And they're like, oh good, we're gonna stay together. And in verse 19, he says, go, 
Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. We don't get to just be a, to be a community here. It's a community that's been told to go. And thank God we get to do that as a group because following Jesus and living out those teachings here is overwhelming. But the problems we have to deal with out in our real lives and in the world are huge. But we get to face those together. We don't do it alone. We are sent out as one people. Uh, in one of his letters to the early church at Corinth, and again, we know that we're not the first ones to deal with this because they still talk about it in the Bible. Paul writes this letter to the church at Corinth, and he says, you know, each of you have these different gifts that God's given you to go out and to serve. Some of you are teachers, some of you are apostles. He said these things, uh, and you each have a different talent, and you got to use that talent. Um, and we think that feels great. Like, it's just about me. Like, I'm gifted. I'll go do my thing. Doesn't matter about everybody else. And then Paul says, no. He says, you are part of one body says, you're not just gifted to teach or to serve or to help. He says, you are a foot and you are an eye and you are a hand and you're an ear. We all need each other because foot, you might be able to hop, but you can't pick things up on your own unless you're like a monkey toes. <laughs> like foot, you might be able to hop, but you can't hear. You need the ear. Eye, you can't see. You can see, but you can't pick something up by yourself. We all have to be together. We all have to work together. We're dependent on one another. And I love that image because not only does it show how different we are, it shows that like it or not, God has like mashed us together in one inseparable community that's here and sent out. And short of like amputating yourself as a hand and becoming like thing on the Adams family, like we're a church, we're one body and we're called together this weird and beautiful and imperfect community that we call the church. The church is one body. And we were brought together to worship together and then we're sent out to work together and we need each other. We are inseparable. You are needed here. You have something to contribute here. You're a part of this body. Now, there are a lot of things we're sent out to do, but for today, I'll end with tying up our series on green faith. Uh, we've been talking for the past several weeks about our calling as Christians to care for the creation and our responsibility to that, to help protect it and to help the people most impacted by climate change that we're seeing. We've learned about how the environment is a spiritual issue, not just an out there issue. We saw the impact of our sin and original sin and how true repentance calls us to not just avoid doing the bad things, but to do the good things, to love God and to love our neighbor, specifically our neighbor in need. We learned last week about science and our call each of us to be scientists too. And now today we'll finish Green Faith by remembering that we are sent out as the church one body together. The problems, especially about the environment we know are big. We know there's no easy answers to fixing the damage that we've done. I wish I had them. But we also know we don't do it alone. And I believe God does unbelievable things when the people of God decide to work together and to take seriously the call to go. There are a lot of examples of what this looks like, and you can read them just like I can. Congregations are planting community gardens. They're restoring wilderness areas near their churches. They're leading the way in their community by putting solar power on their roofs and getting other people in their community to do that too. 
There's a group of 90 congregations in Harlem that came together and they're building a low income housing complex with a green grid flooring system, 90 churches. There's a coalition in Michigan of 150 congregations from 10 different faiths that have joined together to protect the environment and the upper peninsula. Like anyone could do the work that needs to happen on the environment. I know that. It doesn't have to be the church. I know that too. But there are some unique things about being a part of a community of faith that uniquely calls us out to serve. And especially in this way, because we're a place that tells the truth. The church tells the truth, even when it's hard to hear or inconvenient, or it makes us feel uncomfortable. When it comes to the environment, it's critical that we tell the truth about what has to be done. We're a place that's committed to the next generation. At our next service today, we'll baptize another child here on this chancel. And we baptize, we commit to that next generation to raise them in the faith and to also protect the creation that they've been given to grow up and live into. And we're a place that refuses to give up on hope. It's really easy to look at these problems, the environment and all the other problems we're facing and say, it's too much. I give up. We're too stubborn for that. It's partly what makes us weird, but it's definitely what makes us the church. If God tells us to hope, we hope. If God says, keep working, that's what we do. We are the church, a weird and imperfect and beautiful community that's been sent out. But what we do specifically as Maitland Presbyterian Church, that's up to you. The specifics of how we go and serve our community and protect our environment and love our neighbor and help is a work in progress. And it will be up to you to decide what that looks like because we're one body together. So we got to walk out there together as hands and feet and eyes and ears. But there's one thing I know. We won't do it alone. We'll do it together. Let's pray. God, thank you for bringing us here to this room and making us your church Bring two new people to us who can be a part of this body as we seek to be faithful to you and to serve. Pray this all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.